This is Larry Weissin, and you're listening to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond. I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Tall Tines Taxidermy is your mid-Michigan taxidermist, conveniently located in Clarksville, Michigan. Lanny specializes in white-tailed deer and any other big-game animals you harvest. As a boutique taxidermy studio, you know who's doing your taxidermy work. Let Lanny Ross, owner of Tall Tines Taxidermy Studio, show you why his motto, Preserving Memories, produces one-of-a-kind works of art for you. Reach Tall Tines Taxidermy at 616 723-7970. Buck Fever Synthetics, the premier attractant company making not only the finest whitetail synthetic attractants, but also scents for elk, moose, bear, and hog hunters. Use with Buck Fever's Vanishing Hunter to reduce your scent and see the difference. Put out Buck Fever year-round to have the animals coming in. It crystallizes in dry soil and reactivates with moisture and it never spoils. It simply works. Go to buckfeverusa.com to see the full line of Buck Fever Synthetics. Make bucks hunt you. Proudly made in America. DTO Optics wants to be your optics provider. They offer rugged and dependable rifle scopes, binoculars, spotting scopes, and rangefinder options. You'll find big name quality optics at little name prices. DTO Optics is your value-based optics company providing awesome customer service, a 30-day love it or your money back guarantee, and a lifetime warranty. Check out DTO Optics online at DTOOptics.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Racks, offering the coolest bow hanger on the market. Display your bow with pride in your house, your garage, or anywhere you'd like. We carry most major brands while also offering a custom service if you have an idea or logo of your own that you'd like made into a hanger. Use them to display your traditional bow, compound bow, or even your crossbow. They also work great for hanging your hunting gear, your bags, or hats. Not to mention the design just looks plain awesome all by themselves. A Racks hanger makes for a great gift for that special hunter in your life. Go to RacksInc.com to see some of the available designs or contact us to discuss the custom hanger of your own. For listeners of the Outdoor Adventures with Jason podcast, use the promo code PODCAST and get 15% off your first order. Racks, show off your passion. Top 10% Deer Management is the premier land management company to help you see better deer on your property. Whether you have 10 acres or 10,000 acres, let a top 10% representative begin to help increase the correct deer habitat on your property. Go to top10percentdeermanagement.com for an introduction. Top 10% Deer Management. Manage. Hunt. Harvest. A family-owned business. Welcome to this episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Now, all the time when I do these shows, we're always talking about hunting because I love hunting. But when I'm not hunting, not editing a show, not doing something of that nature, you'll usually find my nose stuck in a book on zombie-type stuff. Love that genre. So... I was really surprised when I was happening to flip through some stuff on Amazon looking for a new series of books to read, and I came across a gentleman's name named Joshua Chad. And I've got Josh on the line here with me, and Josh is not only
only a big game guide in Alaska and Montana. He's also a very respected author in that post-apocalyptic zombie era with a number of books published. So with that said, Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Doing really good. How are you doing? Great. I really appreciate you coming on the show because I honestly never thought I'd find somebody that had these two options together as well. So this is really kind of cool. But on top of it, you're doing what is phenomenal, which is big game guiding in Alaska and Montana, which is two of the states that I think everybody, if they have never thought about hunting them, wants to or, you know, dreams about hunting or, or wants to go to. So it's really an interesting life that you've got going on. No, I feel the same way when you said, hey, I want to have you on the show and we're going to talk about hunting, but also the zombie books. I'm like, whoa, this is this is going to be a first for me, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to take a step back before the books, anything. You're from the Montana area. Alaska. Um, born and raised in Alaska. Okay, born and raised in Alaska, grew up there, and that was all your first hunting experiences, was it? Yes. When we were growing up in Alaska, my my dad owns my dad owns the business I work for now, Majestic Mount Outfitters. And uh, when we were growing up, we were out at a hunting lodge in Alaska for most of the spring, summer, fall months from when I was, well, a couple months old till I was 12. And then started, when I started hunting, we started hunting in Alaska and then did a little bit. We have some relatives in Illinois, so did some hunting back there too. But but yeah, Alaska was where I, where I started. Growing up there, you seeing things like moose, grizzly bear, black bear, all that, that was normal day-to-day occurrences or, or season-to-season occurrences for you. Yep. No, we had uh, where people have like deer come in their yards and eat on their eat on their trees or whatever. We'd have we'd have cow moose in the winter with their calves come into our yards and we'd have to we'd have to always get the dog and make sure the dog's paying attention because those cow moose are really aggressive. But yeah, so we'd have we'd have cow moose doing that when we drive in the town. Um, we'd see moose or bears crossing the highway and that was just, yeah, that was everyday life. I'm guessing you grew up eating all that as well. Yes. Yep. So we pretty much grew up since, uh, since dad had the hunting camp and we were out at that hunting lodge and the outfit there and, and when a moose is killed, I mean, you get, you get a lot of meat and the clients can't realistically take it all home. So we hardly bought any meat during the year and, and we still don't, we eat all game meat. And in Alaska, we ate a lot of moose and, uh, some caribou and sheep. I spent a number of years living in Texas, and for the, the men and women that can't afford to go and do the doll sheep and all that, we have those little fake knockoff sheep down in Texas, which, to be honest with you, they don't really taste all that great. But <laughs> no. from what I understand, real sheep, the doll sheep, things that, those are top-notch, really good. Yes. Doll sheep is honestly, um, the only thing I've heard that can compare to doll sheep is Axis, but doll sheep is one of the best game meats there is. I mean, it's it's tender, even when you get these old rams that are 10, 11 years old, the meat's still tender. You can cut the backstraps, tenderloins with a fork. I mean, I've never needed a knife on uh, doll sheep backstraps. Wow. See, and you wouldn't think that you'd think an old ram would be just like a piece of jerky. Yep. Yep. It's it's weird because then when you just cross and you, and you get over the goats, because I mean, goats and sheep are very similar animals, but they're also completely different because the goat meat, even a young goat, the meat can be like that. It can just be like chewing on shoe leather if you don't cook it right. So it's, yeah, it's really weird. So growing up in Alaska, now you are a registered guide there. Yes. Which means that you yourself can hunt anything. But for those of us that would be coming up from the lower 48 or even maybe even Alaska, I don't know, but basically the lower 48, there's many times that we can only hunt with a registered guide for species. And, and talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, so actually surprising thing, even though I'm a registered guide, I still have to have a guide if I personally wanted to hunt some of these species. So how Alaska works is um, I actually just got back from New Zealand a, a couple, well, actually just a couple weeks ago, and it was funny seeing the contrast. 
Alaska has the most game laws out of probably any state or any country in the world. Just everything they do, there are there are just so many laws. So for if you go up in Alaska, um, residents can hunt whatever they want. So Alaska residents can hunt whatever they want. They still got to follow the seasons and all the other laws, but they can they can go out after anything. And and a lot of times they don't even need tags. But for non-residents, even even for me, like I have a guide license and I grew up there, but since my residency is now in Montana, I have to have a registered guide to be able to hunt doll sheep, mountain goat, grizzly, or brown bear. And I'm pretty sure on uh, muskox and bison too, you you have to have a registered guide. So somebody from the lower states could go up and hunt moose, um, caribou, sitka deer, but there's still so many laws around what you can and can't do that it, it, unless you want to do a lot of research and put a lot of work into it, it's a lot easier just to go with an outfitter. I know with the laws up there, that doesn't even necessarily guarantee that you're not going to inadvertently break a rule. Yes. Because, I mean, we saw that with, now there's some, probably some questioning on it, but we saw that with Nugent a few years back where he claims he thought he was doing everything right and he broke a rule and he turned himself in for it. So it happens. Yep. Uh, so when you get out there, what, I guess doll sheep is probably one of the more popular things people want to come up to Alaska to hunt. Um, yeah, right. It seems to come in, in phases. It, it depends on what year it is right now. Um, we're actually, I, I would say probably doll sheep right now is, is one of the biggest. Um, we also did a couple different sheep, uh, hunting shows this last year. So we got a lot of sheep, uh, clients books. So that might've been part, part of it, but doll sheep, moose and brown bear are definitely the top three right now. Yeah. I, I can imagine. I've seen some of the bears. Now I don't know the exact area you guys are hunting out of. I, I read on your website a bit that it's part of or located in or near a national park. Yes. So we actually, we're, we're really um, blessed to where we have two concessions, which are basically leases from the national government to where we can hunt in the Wrangell St. Elias National Park and Preserve, which is right on the Yukon border at the, on the north boundary of the Wrangell Mountains. And that's where we do all our moose, grizzly bear, and doll sheep. And then we also have a concession in the Katmai National Park and Preserve, which is down on the Alaska Peninsula. And that's where we do our brown bears. The Katmai is, I know a lot of photographers like to go there. That's an area known for big bears and lots of them. Yes, the Katmai is, so the Katmai borders McNeil River, which if, you, if you've ever seen any of the footage of all the bears in the stream getting salmon or, I mean, 90% of the, the bear photographs and footage is either from the Katmai or it's from McNeil. And we literally own one of, well, don't own, but we literally lease one of only two concessions that are allowed to hunt in the Katmai. My preserve because they count my hard park nobody can hunt in there but we're in a preserve and there's only two outfitters that can actually outfit in there and then residents can come in but but we're in our area we're the only ones that can outfit there we don't have any other outfitters or guides coming in on top of us wow. same thing in the wrangles too and now i know alaska is a game rich environment there's a lot of animals it's different than africa where you'll see animals everywhere in the concessions but when you find good animals in alaska from what i've been told they're good you know they're yeah. They're the top end of the species of what you're looking for to harvest. And yep. I've, I've watched friends shows that have passed on certain animals before. And I'm going, holy cow, if that's what you're passing on because the guide tells you there's better. That's crazy. Yep. Yep. So when you're in the wrangle and, and that area, you can do wolf, black bear, uh, moose, and the sheep. Uh, that's all up in that area that's available. 
Yep, yep, and the and the grizzly bears too, and wolverines if we see them. But wolves and wolverine are are they're really rare to see and and even harder to get. Now tell somebody that's coming up, they contact you and they want to do a uh, bear hunt up there, a, a black bear hunt. I, I'm just making something up. Is it one where they do tickets over the counter or is it a drawing system? It, it's it's all over the counter for our areas. You have to for the for the. Uh, brown bears on the Katmai, you have to put in for this permit thing because what Alaska does is they make it as difficult as possible. You've got to buy a tag, which it's actual, it's a metal locking tag. So like, it's not a paper tag or anything like most States, you got to get a metal locking tag. And for some species, you got to get a harvest ticket on top of that. And then like in our Brown bear area, you got to also get a permit that is just basically the permit is the way for them to keep track of what you killed. Cause you put information on there and you send it in at the end of the hunt, but all the, all the tags themselves are over the counter. They're just, they just make it really hard. Cause you got to have about three or four pieces of paperwork in addition to your tag, which with you at all times okay so it's not one where i buy a i buy a license to hunt a brown bear and once i if i don't harvest a brown bear i don't have to get the other stuff you have to do you have to get it all up front whether you harvest or not Yes. Yep. So what you do is you buy your hunting license and then you buy a tag for whichever species you want to hunt and you got to have that tag and everything bought before you go out into the field. Yep. Okay. So they go out to the website, Majestic Mountain Outfitters, yep. and there is a contact link, obviously, to, to reach out to, I'm guessing it's you or your dad or both. Yes. Both of us. Yep. It goes to, comes to both our emails. And then you can sort of walk them through like, hey, if you're going to fly from um, Phoenix, here's how you want to do it. Here's or here's a booking service that can help you with getting plane tickets up to where you need to go. Yeah. Yep. So we we mainly um, we'll mainly tell them like, hey, you need to you need to come into Fairbanks on this day at this time and then figure out how to get the Fairbanks to toke. And then what we do is we handle all of the logistics. So basically we tell them like what airport they need to come into, what time. Um, what day and whatnot, and then the different ways they can get from Fairbanks to Toke, or if they want to come into Anchorage to Toke. And then once they get in the Toke, which is the town closest to us on the further Wrangles, then we handle all the logistics after that. Because we provide, since it's a fully guided hunt, they've all our all our hunt prices include everything. That includes food. Once you get from Toke to our camp, any flying or any transport. Um, transport there is is we cover all that that's covered under the price we provide of course all the tents all the food all the all the other camping equipment and stuff and they just bring up their personal hunting gear and a rifle and then and then what we'll do too is is because we're booked i mean we're booking right now we're booking 2022 um we're full up until then just because we run very few quality hunts so we only do six, seven sheep, six, seven moose a year. And it's just me, my dad, and we have one other guide, Brian, who's been with us for five years now. They, so it's just us doing it. And so we do very quality hunts. So with that, we get booked out because we have a lot of repeat clients or word of mouth. Um, but so when somebody goes and contacts us, we, we work through all the logistics and let them know like, Hey, what, what year are you looking for? What exactly, what kind of experience are you looking for? Whether we should do a moose sheep combo or a bear grizzly or a moose grizzly combo or something like that it's really a matter of booking out with you guys due to you getting full it's not a matter of somebody saying i want to hunt a moose doll sheep combo and then having to wait 25 years to get drawn in a lottery 
Exactly. Exactly. Nope. So that the, exactly the tags are all over the counter. So what you do is, is like what we just, we have clients, they get, they put a small deposit down, especially when they're, when they're booking two, three years out. And that, that holds their dates, that holds the price. We put them in the schedule and then they don't have to worry about paying anything till January the year of, but it's nice. Cause, cause they don't have to worry about putting in for points or anything like that. They just, once, once it's their year to come up, the tags are available in January, the year of, then they just go out, they buy their tags, they get their harvest tickets, their license, all that kind of stuff. And then they're, then they're set for the hunt that fall. Okay. So if the weather is terrible in one location, you guys will fly them to another one. Possibly. Possibly. Yes. Usually where we're at is, is, is we, our base camp is, is in the mountains. It's in our concession where we hunt. Um, we're 90 miles from the nearest road system. So it's all flying in there, no running water, no electricity, no permanent buildings. It's, it's all out of tents. And so once we get into camp, we hunt up and down that just the front, the front range of those wrangles and then up into wrangles. So usually when one place where we're hunting gets weather we have it on in our entire area pretty much got it so definitely you need to be in good shape yes you definitely yep. want to consider trip insurance and last but not least and i see it posted on your website as well as global rescue yes and in global rescue we just started uh really promoting that in the last couple of years because for 175 dollars the clients can get covered for the whole for 14 days and that covers any medical stuff i mean getting them from wherever they're injured out to their hospital, their preferred hospital in their own state. All of it's covered for $175. The the flight alone to get out from our camp to the road system is usually $300 just in that. So it's it's a no-brainer to get the to get global rescue for for medical issues cuz it's just, it saves so much. Oh, I agree. When I went to Africa when I was in Zimbabwe, I got global rescue because I I've had multiple hip replacements and I was like you just never know what's going to happen and would I rather be in a Zimbabwe hospital not, no knock in Zimbabwe or <laughs> in my own hospital in the United States. Yeah. I think it was 225 bucks or 250 bucks something like that it was the best money spent that i never wanted to use yes exactly and then trip insurance is available in case i mean i guess theoretically somebody could get up to a 14-day hunt up there and, and then end up being reined in and toke or any of that the whole time yes so it's yeah the the biggest factor for our hunts not being successful i mean we have we have a very high success rate um especially on the sheep moose and brown bears but the the biggest factor that plays into that is weather because we'll lose and, and the brown bears are a little bit differently down on the peninsula because you've got the Bering Sea and the Pacific uh, Ocean that are just, I mean, they just, they basically just are like angry siblings and we're on a small <laughs> strip of land in between them and they're constantly just going at it. So, so we'll lose on a, on a 10 day brown bear hunt. I will be shocked if we don't lose three to four of those days to weather because it's just, it's brutal. And the wrangles, we don't lose as many. We might lose one or two a hunt, but that's, it's usually down on the peninsula. We'll, we'll get some hunts where we had a guy on a sheep hunt and on a 10 day sheep hunt, he was, he was weathered out seven days. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's something like that. What we do is, cause that was no, no fault of our own, no fault of his. So what we do is we say, Hey, if, if you want to come back, we'll give you, we'll give you a really good deal on coming back because we have no problem booking our hunts. Like, so we could just say, Hey, if you want to come back, pay full price, but, but that's not how we do it. We, we run our business as we want the, we, we just want to take care of our clients. We got kind of a little catchphrase or catchphrase or motto, whatever, but it's, but it's come as clients leave as family. And we have a lot of clients who have become family and friends. We've had some that uh, we invited to mine and my wife's wedding. They've been, uh, they've been around, some have been around more of our lives than, than our own family, <laughs> extended oh, nice. family. 
Yeah. So let's talk a minute about, you hear a lot of the outfitters in Alaska say, oh, I'm going to do a coastal brown bear or I'm going to hunt in Kodiak Island for a big bear. And don't get me wrong, from what I understand, Kodiak is the big bears. But Katmai is probably not only good in big bears, but quantity of bears, I would think from what I've seen just from photographers. Yes. So you're right. Kodiak is is phenomenal on size of bears. And and if you go back to Pinnell and Towson, they were some of the, I mean, some of the premier brown bear guides back in the, oh, I don't even know, back in like the 50s, the 80s. They got a lot of their bears out of the, out of Kodiak. But now Kodiak, for, for some reason, somebody, when you say you got a Kodiak brown bear, even if it's the same size as a coastal brown bear, people just in our minds, it's become where that is like a, a better thing now. But where we're at right now, we honestly, because we're in the Katmai, because there's only two concessions, because it butts up against the Katmai Park where nobody can hunt, McNeil where nobody can hunt, and because it hadn't been hunted for seven years before we got it, right now we have some of the biggest and best population of bears in the entire world just because of all those factors. And we've only been hunting there for, oh, two years. And before that, there was maybe a handful of bears taken out of there by residents. And the one outfitter before us had it for three years. And before that, it sat for seven years. Either of the concessions, the one we have or the one our neighbor has down south, I mean, it is the best brown bear hunting in the world. Is there kind of an average you get out there? I mean, I know you could see one bear, you could see a thousand. But do you normally say, yeah, we usually see five or six bears of which one or two are good shooters? So it all depends on the season. It really does. So when we were in there, uh, fall of, let's see, would have been fall of 17. The first day between four different camps, we saw over 120 different bears in the first day. And that's, and that's, they're all on the streams. Now out of those, we probably saw maybe, oh, probably a dozen shooter bears that were over nine foot, maybe a little more than that. But then, for instance, in the spring, you see a lot less bears because they're coming out of hibernation. They're just they're off in the brush. They're just not they're not all they're not all condensed on the streams and the, and the lakes where the salmon are at. But so in the spring, you'll see oh man, you'll probably see a dozen to two dozen bears the whole hunt, maybe more. And out of those, you'll probably see one or two big bears. For for instance, and and size wise, I mean we we go for anything nine foot plus, which is a really good bear. Last spring, let's see, we took seven bears. All of them were over nine and a half and five of those were over 10 foot wow those are huge yes and and one of them actually went top 20 uh all-time sci and 21 boone and crockett he was he was 10 foot 10 with just a massive skull and that's now that's 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 not usually how things are going to go that was a phenomenal spring but even the fall before when we got seven bears yeah we got seven bears the fall before and there was two of those were over 10 and most of those we averaged nine and a half that fall yeah, see, the genetics are there. Yes, that's exactly it. I've black bear hunted before in Canada, and the general rules are as long as there's no cubs, the, the bear is legal because just they set you out there by yourself, and your ability to tell a male from a female is pretty much zilch. <laughs> But for somebody in Katmai, when you're looking, are you looking to figure out if it's a boar or are you just looking for a big bear with no cubs? So, yeah, we're looking for boars, exactly. So the same laws are apply in Alaska. If it doesn't have cubs, it's legal. Um, we really try and get boars only just because they're, they're bigger. You you can get a you can get some big nine-foot sows, but you're going to have a hard time getting anything over nine foot if it's a sow. And so we're – and the uh, heads usually aren't as big. They're, they're not as wide. They're just not 
not, and the bodies aren't as massive. So what the first thing we do is we identify if it's a boar or sow, because if you identify it as a, a boar, you think it's a boar, but it's really a sow, you're going to misjudge it because the signs are going to throw you off. And if you think it's a boar, but it's really a sow, you're going to think it's at least a foot squared bigger than it's actually going to end up being because you haven't identified if it's a boar or sow yet. And it's, and it's just going to throw you off what you look for. So first thing we do is we identify, okay, is it a boar? Is it a sow? And then once you identify that, if, if it looks like it's a massive barren sow, then yeah, I mean, we'll definitely think about it. But we really try to go after the big old boars. Which makes sense. A single male bear can, you know, he can breed with unlimited numbers of females, theoretically, where yep. you don't want to shoot the females that are, are making your future generations of bears. Yes, exactly. Are you required to take the meat out of those bears? I know that has been a bone of contention for some folks in the Canadian side where the bear meat would be left. Is the meat edible or is it really dependent on what the bear has been eating? So no, to put it into perspective, even the natives don't eat brown bears or grizzly bears because what it is, is, is all bear meat, which a lot of people don't notice all bear meat, black bears, even in the lower 48s, they have trigonosis, which is the same kind of, it's, it's a, it's a worm in the muscle that it's, you can get it from uncooked pork as well. Well, right. And uh, I mean, it can it can make you sick. And it, in extreme cases, it can actually kill you. And brown bears and grizzly bears, almost all of them have it and they have it really bad. So it is actually it can be detrimental to your health to eat grizzly and brown bears. Now, if you cook it enough, then it's going to kill that anyway. But it also tastes horrible. So in Alaska, the only time you have to salvage brown bear and grizzly bear meat is if you kill a brown or grizzly bear off a, uh, a bait station, which there's only certain units you can bait actively bait bait grizzly and brown bear. Actually, I think it's only grizzly bears. I don't think you can bait brown bears. And uh, because you can bait black bears up there, but let's say you kill a grizzly bear off of a black bear bait station, then you have to salvage the meat. Now, what you're supposed to do with it after you salvage it, I don't know (laughs) what the state of Alaska expects you to do with it because, I mean, you're not supposed to eat it, but you do have to sit. But that's the only case when you have to salvage uh, brown bear or grizzly bear. But realistically, for anybody listening, you guys skin the bear, you take the hide, you take the skull, and you've left the meat there. There's any number of animals that are going to come along and eat that. Yes. You know, another bear. Yes, exactly. And especially in the cat, my dad, usually bears don't eat bear carcasses. I, I don't know why. They just usually don't. But for whatever reason, in a cat, my, there must be just, I mean, they're carnivorous. I mean, we've had very few kills that bears haven't gotten on. And then with the kill, if there's a big bear area, that big bear, big bear in the area, that big bear is going to get on that kill. So, I mean, we did it a couple falls ago where we killed a big bear off of a big bear carcass because he had come on that carcass and made it his. Oh, interesting. So then you guys really see just about anything. <laughs> Up there, yes. We had we had bears. We have a little electric fence around our camps, which in all honesty, if a bear really wants to get into camp, it's not going to do anything. But we were having bears sleep, oh, 10 yards from camp. Just, I mean, there was, there was, there was the, the Katmai is just, it's unrealistic when it comes to bear hunting and just being out there. Because what it is, is especially in the falls, is these bears will see... Over the course of the summer, they'll see over 3,000 people in the Katmai fishing and taking pictures. So they don't, they, they just learn to be used to people. So when we get in there in the hunting season, they're used to people. Now, the big bears we want to shoot, they're still smart. They're just like anything. Once they get big, they get smart. But we'll have little boars. We'll have sows and cubs. They'll just be walking right by us. They don't care that we're there. They just walk right by and keep doing their thing. Just another day. Yep, exactly. So if I was going out to the Katmai for a, a bear, I mean, do you guys suggest a firearm to bring? Or is there a minimum cal? 
caliber that the state requires, minimum caliber that you require? Uh, yes. So the state, I think, is just anything center fire is fine. For us, we require at least a 300 or bigger. Uh, we really recommend 338s, 375s. Those are definitely, because they they just have enough stopping power the way just, they just put the smack down. If I brought my 375 Ruger up for a bear, I'm probably going to switch to a 300 or something different for a sheep because that's just, you need a different style rifle. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, we do. We get a lot of 300s, uh, seven mags and stuff like that for, for sheep. Yep. When they're harvesting a bear, uh, has anybody ever, or have have you had anybody ever do it with bow? You, you can. I mean, legality, you can. And there's some outfitters that do. We do not. We do not do any bow hunts in Alaska just because bears, we don't want the safety issue. I mean, we, we've had, we've got some horror stories from outfitter friends of ours who one guy missed a bear at 30 yards with the bow. A bear started coming at him, missed him at 20, missed him again at 10. And the outfitter had to take defensive measures at that point to make sure that, that bear didn't eat them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we just, we don't, we we don't mess mess with bow hunting in Alaska because th- these hunts are also really expensive and, and you could for a lot of stuff like moose you can go over into Canada and you can shoot anything um, with a bow there's usually not legality wise for us in Alaska that moose has got to be at least 50 inches wide the rack or it's got to have where we're at four brow tines on one side and so that cuts down on, a, on all your young to medium stupid moose and so then it's all the smart moose that you're trying to hunt with a bow and if you get a really good rutting season when they're really grunting and thrashing and they're getting going, yes, you can do it with the bow. But the last four seasons, the rut has not been full blown and, and you could have not done it with bows. So to save ourselves a headache and to save up clients coming up and, and having to leave empty handed, we don't we don't do archery hunts. In, in Alaska. Now with the, the moose, I, I just, this is out of my own curiosity. I see a lot of times on TV or the videos where they will actually float a river calling for the moose. You yes. know, they'll shut the engine off, they'll float the river. Is that how you guys do it or are you doing it from just glassing? We're, so we're all glassing and that's another thing that hurts us with with like being able to do the the do the archery is because we're all spot and stock so we go we we got to walk everywhere is on foot so once you land in base camp you got to walk three to five miles to get to our spike camp and then we stay in that spike camp and we'll climb up to one two maybe three different lookouts that are around camp and we're climbing up to those lookouts every morning and we're glassing all day long so you might only have one or two big bull moose that are in that area and if you're archery hunting them and you spook one of those bulls out well you're down to one more bull you spook another bull out all of a sudden you don't have any bulls in that area and you got to wait for something to move in where if you're floating a river you can get into a lot of different country you can be calling and then if they respond then you get on the shore and then you go after them and in a lot of those videos too because i like watching uh ralph and vicky uh c and cirillo do the moose mania right they're hunting in a lot of places where there's no legality issues if they want to kill a small bull they can kill a small bull where if we kill a small bull that's sublegal i mean that bull's confiscated meats confiscated guides fine clients fine it's just it's just a headache so we got to make sure that the moose is legal and so that cuts down on i mean 60 percent of your your bull populations because you're having to get these older bigger bulls are residents required to have the same as what you just mentioned like four brow tines or 50 inches yes um there are some spike fork laws um like you'd have anywhere else um, where they can in certain areas they can kill a spike but when they when they're going after trophy moose yes they got they have the same laws so somebody comes along and if it's going to be their first trip to alaska they may question everything from you know what socks are best to what boots all the way to you know what's the best hat you guys like to work with cryptic not only is that a good camera 
camo that you like, but you're also friends with the owners of it. And have you guided hunts for them before? So to, to go back on a little bit is, is exactly, we want them to ask us and to go through all of their gear, because when you're out there, we're out, most of our hunts, like our sheep hunts are nine days. The moose hunts are eight days. The brown bear hunts are 10 or 15 days. They're out there for a long time. So you really got to have good gear. And we've, we've tested it season and season again. And so we really know what is best. We really like wearing like the crispy boots. Um, Loa boots are good, but you don't want to come up with a pair of, well, this is for sheep hunts. You don't want to come up with a pair of Danners or something like that. Cause while they might be a good boot for a lot of stuff for sheep hunting, they just get the piss beat out of them. So, but all of, all of our, our clothing, we, we like to work with cryptic because a, we've field tested it and 90% of their gear is some of the toughest stuff out there. I mean, it, it, it holds up, they stand behind their gear. And, and like you said, we, we know Butch and Josh, the two CEOs personally, and Butch actually came out with us last, let's see, it would have been last spring and killed a 10 and a half foot brown bear wow. down on the Katmai with us. So we, we know them really well and we know their gear. And, and if something sucks, I uh, will go to them and say, Hey, Butch, this sucks. You guys need to work on it. Cause there are some pieces just like with everything. Nobody's perfect. Not all their gear is perfect, but 90% of it and all the stuff we use is, I mean, we've used it year in and year out for up to four or five seasons. And that's, and that's hard. I mean, that we're hard on it cause we're up in Alaska for three months out of the year and then down in Montana for a month. So for four months we're, we're guiding, we're basically living in all of this gear. Yeah. It doesn't get a break. It doesn't get no. hung in the closet. Nope. So you've got this great areas up in Alaska, but let's switch because not only are you up in Alaska, but then you're also doing hunting in Montana, yes. which is still can be rustic, but yes. not near the same quality of being, you know, on the Katmai where there's not much around or up in, you know, the border of Yukon. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it, exactly. It's there. There's something about Alaska where, I mean, it really is the last frontier. Um, I've been to a lot of places, a lot of States. It's, there's just something about it where when you're sitting there on a, on a mountain and you're, you're looking out and you're thinking to yourself there's maybe been a handful of people on this exact mountain before and, and so that's cool but in montana it, it, it it's it's similar just just less intense i mean because we we hunt out of uh, cabins here and the the one we're actually out in the middle because what we do is we have two big ranches uh cattle ranches that we lease so of course it's all low fence it's it's no high fence um but we lease some low fence cattle ranches and so we have almost 90,000 acres in Montana we lease for uh, mule deer, antelope, and elk. And it's and it's still, once you get out on the middle of this ranch, I mean, besides the ranchers coming out, I mean, we're the only people for four or five square miles at least. Yeah, so it's, it's really overpopulated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so... The nice thing is, if somebody says, man, I would really love to go up to Alaska, but that's outside of my budget, you can easily look to Montana for a mule deer, you know, antelope, turkey. There's all sorts yeah. of options, but you have to deal with the draw as well. Yes. So that's the big thing about Montana that changed here in the last few years is is everything's under draw now. Um, turkey's still over the counter. But that, that's about it. You you got to draw for elk. You got to draw for antelope. You got to draw for deer. And the draw for deer is usually um, very high success. This was the first year we didn't have a client draw. Um, and it was only one out of the 15 clients we put in. So still really good odds. But it, it, you do have to compete with the draw, yes. And this is mule deer only, correct? Yes. Yeah. Well, we guide for only mule deer. How, how it works in Montana is you get just a buck tag, and you can use that for either a mule deer or a whitetail. Because see, 
we are, our ranches aren't next to, but they're not far from the Yellowstone. And so when you get down in, in the Yellowstone river bottoms or the Bighorn river bottom, you'll get some whitetail. And so there is one ranch that we used to lease. We don't anymore that had, well, actually at the end of season before we, after we had all the clients were done, my brother went and killed a 166 whitetail off of it. So there are, there are whitetail and good whitetail here, but just not on any of the ranches we lease. And most of the whitetail land is all, is all private and very, very like, uh, they don't, they don't like to lease it. It's, it's their own. They use it for their own hunting. They like to hunt the whitetail. Yes. Okay. So, but for somebody that's coming from back East, like say I'm coming from Michigan where we've got whitetail everywhere, the ability to hunt a mule deer, which we don't have, that's fantastic. Yes. So are you booking out 2022 for those as well? Actually, yes, we are. I think we have openings for 22. I, I know we're booked up. Well, we might have a couple here or there. So we might have one or two in 20 and one or two in 21, but I think most of them are 22. And we actually, yeah, it's it's uh, the the Montana sense it's a lot more cost effective. We have a, a lot, a lot. We probably have 30 to 40% that are repeat clients that have hunted with us before that, I mean, there's some that they hunt with us in Alaska and then they come in Montana or they come into Montana and then they go to Alaska. But we have a lot who hunt with us multiple times in Montana as well, just because they, I mean, they can't get enough of the out West experience. Sure. I can certainly understand that. I got lucky when I was in college to spend a summer working on the edge of Glacier National Park. And that was my first experience seeing live bears, mule deer, you know, just anything that runs that park, bighorn sheep, mountain goats. For me, I want to go out to Montana to hunt. Well, I'd like to hunt everything, but I want to do a turkey out there. It's, It's just an absolutely beautiful, the pictures I'm looking at of the camp on Majestic Mountain Outfitters. Yeah, it's, it's, we've, we really take, um, pride in, in, in all we do. I mean, it's, it's been, it's been affording my family. It's, it's the primary, well, actually most of the time, the only source of income for when dad was raising us and, and it's my wife and mine's, uh, main income now too. And so we really take pride in the business and, and dad's had it in Alaska for, oh, 30 years. Um, the business has been going and he's been guiding up there for 35 and we've been down in Montana for 27 years. And so we, we really take pride in all aspects of it. And so we, we've got a really nice i mean it's still rustic it's not like a, a really a fancy hunting lodge like over in new zealand or or up in alaska but it's it's still kind of rustic but it's a nice camp and the land we've really been able to manage these ranches over the years to where if, if we don't want to take a young but but good four by four then we'll let him go and we know that two years down the road he's going to be a phenomenal buck and the ranches are big enough to where we can do that and most of them are still on that ranch two three years down the road yeah, when you have 70, 80,000 acres for one piece of property, that deer generally isn't leaving it. Yes. So you've got the ability. Now, again, they need the, the only way really to do this is to contact you to yes. work out all the logistics. One thing I liked about, at least on the Montana hunts, is a lot of outfitters, and tell me how you guys do this, but a lot of outfitters really only want to book you if you're coming with a buddy, husband, wife, friends. But you look like you'll book one person and then put them together with another individual. Yes. Yep. So, so all of our, all of our Alaska hunts are one-on-one, one guide with one client. Our Montana are two-on-one. There are some cases where if somebody wants to pay a little extra to be the only one, then, then he can do that or she can do that. But we, we do like, we, most of the people we get are buddies or husband and wives, because I mean, that's, that's a fun hunt to do together or father and sons. We get a lot of father and sons that come out and that's, that's just a great hunt. It's 
we we have what we have is we have our trophy deer, which those those are your big deer, and we have our call hunts too, to where that that's half the price of a trophy hunt, and they still get to come out, they get the same experience, but they they're shooting a, a three by three or a two by two or a two by three, something that's not going to be your big good buck that has your four your uh, or your two um, crotches on each side, but it, it makes it nice for if you have a father and a young son or let's say two buddies and they want to come back. I've got I've got some guys coming back this year that hunted with me two years ago and what they do now is is they both came out for a trophy the first year and then now every other year they're going to flip-flop one's going to hunt a trophy one's going to hunt a call and then the next year they're going to switch and that that allows them to save a little bit of money but keep coming back for quite a few years sure and even what what i think is cool with some of the cold deer you see is some of them will have some just really funky character to them yes uh, which, you know, if you've got a nice mule deer on the wall and you, but you still want to continue to hunt mule deer, sometimes those call hunts can allow you to get the oddball. You know, maybe yes. I've seen ones where they got one single tine on one side and then like six on the other side. And they're just goofy. You know, they're just yep. oddballs. Yep, exactly. What about predator hunting in Montana? I've, I've seen pictures with coyotes and so forth. Is that just you shoot them if you see them or? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, we pretty much when we see them, if it's not going to affect the, the deer hunting, we just lay waste to them. Um, I mean, because we don't we've got a lot of coyotes out here. Unlike back east, there's not a lot of people calling them. Well, let me rephrase that. For the amount of land we have and the density of coyotes and the amount of people, there's not as many people calling them as say like back in Michigan. You, it's it's hard when I lived back there. It was it was, you. There's very few people that could successfully call coyotes, and if they did, they were going out at night or they were doing it a lot or every 20 sits they might get one coyote out here. I mean, we'll usually call in three coyotes for every five or six sits. So I, I we do do some predator calling. That's mainly personal. Or if, let's say, somebody gets done with their mule deer hunt on day two and their hunt's five days and they want to stay around for those three days, we might go out and, and do some coyote calling or whatnot. But usually it's just, it's just happenstance when we run across one and we'll shoot them. Oh, okay. So they're just a target of opportunity. Yes. There's yep, no special yep. license required. No, actually, Montana knows what they're doing with that is you don't have to have a hunting license to be able to kill coyotes, porcupines, um, and I think fox. Um, but they, they're called, they're considered a non-game predator. Okay. And so you can, you can, anybody can come out and just shoot coyotes. Got it. And do you guys, any of the ranches have prairie dogs? Yes. Yeah, so we, we've used to have a lot. Yeah. Some big populations of prairie dogs right now. The ranchers are, they really don't like them. They're eating a lot of grass. They spread, they're having uh, cows and calves that are breaking legs in the holes. And um, so they're really going through and poisoning them. So we're losing a lot of our prairie dog populations, but we, we do, we do still have a few towns and we have done prairie dog hunts in the past. And I think we might do like one, just one hunt in the, in the summer going forward is, is about it. But yep, there are some prairie dogs. Okay. So something fun for somebody to do something a little bit different. Yes. And, and if they really want to blow through some ammo. Yes. Blow through a lot. You, you really need to bring two or three guns because you'll overheat the barrels and <laughs> thousands of rounds of ammo for each. Wow. And just three days of hunt or shoot, I should say. Oh, okay. Okay. So this is your family business, which is Majestic Mountain Outfitters. And I'm going to have a link to this in the show notes so that anybody can contact you directly, your dad. There's bios on you, your dad, your wife. I, 
I, I'm sorry, I forgot the other. Brian is the other guy, yes. I think. Yep. Uh, there's great pictures. Like I'm looking right now at a gentleman from uh, 2017 or so that took a. These two gentlemen took antelope, and man, are they some really hooked horns? They're really yes. nice antelope. Uh, some great turkeys. So really, somebody the best bet if they want to talk to you. And and what's nice is if if you're booking out 2022, 2021, 2023, they can use that time to save up for a doll sheep. Yes. Uh, because that's not a cheap endeavor. <laughs> no, no, it's not. So, you know, I appreciate all that. Now I want to completely switch gears from hunting. And, and this is something that's just kind of neat to me is, I, as I said, I was going through Amazon. I was looking for some books and I, I came across in this zombie genre, post-apocalyptic genre. I came across a set of books called The Brothers Creed. And I'm not going to try and even give a rundown. I'm going to let you, I'm going to just throw it to you, Josh. And you tell a little bit about the premise behind the books and what started you on this um so it's actually it's actually pretty funny because as as we kind of mentioned before it's um it's really weird to where when i tell clients or or, or people um that yeah like because i always ask like what do you do in the off season because guiding only keeps you busy four or five months out of the year and then you have the rest of those months where i mean you're not doing a whole lot you you make yourself as busy as you want or as non-busy as you want and so everybody asks like what do you do in the off season so i tell people well I write books and they're like, Oh man, they're like, I would love to read a good book about hunting or cause they, they just always assume like, Oh, it's going to be something about hunting or, or something like that. And I'm like, no, I, I write zombie books <laughs> and they always just take a step back and it's like, wait, what? And, uh, so it's, it's kind of funny and, and it's, and it's a really cool lifestyle because I mean, I get, I get to do the guiding I get to get outside and, and really just, I mean, enjoy the, the country and the bush and the land. And then in the off season, I get to come back and I get to write these books. And uh, so it's, it's a really cool lifestyle. So to answer your question, it is um, the premise of the books is I <laughs> with this, this, the first book, especially I didn't really branch off and do something like really different. It's about these two brothers that are living in eastern Montana. They're out on a, on a ranch, prairie dog hunting, and they come back into the small town where they, they live close to. And every I mean, there's just bodies, corpses. I mean, it's just mayhem. And they come to figure out that, I mean, through one of these corpses getting up and starting and walking at them that it they're zombies and and what i did in mine is it's not like in some things where like nobody knows what a zombie is they they're like wow this is this is a zombie like we know what this is i mean we're 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 fluent in pulp culture so it starts off this they're they're what they call it is their zombie apocalypse plan and that's to get their close family maybe some friends and to go up to their wilderness lodge in alaska where they can ride out the apocalypse and so that's the whole premise of this book and or the, the whole books, all five of them. And then the rest that ensues is just my uh, a very I feel like a very real down earth take on people and their responses to these end of the world situations where you have I, I really get away from the zombies because the zombies are more just a setting thing than they are like uh, a big I mean, they're a setting and they're a theme. It's I would say I write more end of the world books with zombies in them because really quickly by the end of the second book, it becomes a whole lot more about the zombies. It becomes about the relationships of these people, the decisions these survivors are having to make to survive and to protect their loved ones. And then the opposition they're going to face, not only in the walking dead, but with people as well that are just they're, they're capitalizing on their lack of morals or their inner evil or whatever, or their just desire to survive as well and be willing to do whatever they want to survive. And so it was, uh, it, it was a lot of fun to write. Oh yeah. See, and if you're not versed in this, this topic, I would always tell folks, look at your books. How many books do you have in your series? I know the brother's creed is what five books. 
Yes. Yep. So I just finished up book five, which is the last of the series in February. And then here, actually just last weekend, I released them all as a box set uh, ebook on Amazon with, with all five books, plus two little bonus short stories. One's kind of happens before and then one kind of happens after the main series. And if somebody's not sure about your writing style of whether they would like it or not, they can go to joshuacchad.com and you have a free ebook where they can kind of read a little bit about that and, and get an idea of what your writing style like yes exactly exactly that is that is the best uh best thing to do because i mean you go there you put in your email address and then the the book gets sent to you uh, it's it's in an ebook format and then you can read it whenever you want to and that that's exactly what it is is it gives you it's actually the prequel that i included in the box set that's it's a prequel to this whole series so not only do you get a uh, feel for the style but you get introduced to one of the characters that is that comes in later on in book two who's really honestly one of the fan favorite characters and so you get to see kind of his little prequel story and, and kind of see how my style is and and also what the because even starting in that I, I really started focusing on like just the, the relationships and the consequences of actions and stuff okay this series the five books plus the little couple of short stories that ends or completes the brothers creed series yes so anything next yes actually so <laughs> i'm going to be really switching it up now and i'm jumping over the fantasy and gonna write some high fantasy books because i've always just been i've had these two not really conflicting but two opposite ends of the spectrum personality or passions if you will where i i love hunting i love the outdoors i'm i'm like right now we're getting ready to go to alaska on july 24th and start the season up there august 10th is when sheep season opens that's literally the best day of the year it's better than christmas it's better than my birthday <laughs> that is that is my favorite I, I love sheep hunt but on the same side i love nerd stuff we were recently in new zealand and i love the lord of the rings movies i haven't finished all the books yet but so we're a big fan of lord of the rings movies and when we were over in new zealand i did a little bit of hunting of course because that's what i like to do but we also went all over both islands and went to a bunch of the lord of the rings filming locations as well as hobbiton and stuff because i i'm a huge nerd as well as a hunting guide so that's so sweet. with that the the next set of my books, which it's a, it's going to be a planned trilogy with two novella prequels as well, is going to be set in my fantasy world, which I've, I've really been working on for the past 10 plus years and really hitting it hard in the last three years once I started self-publishing. So going to switch over, do these, these this fantasy trilogy, and then once I'm done with that, I'm going back over to the post-apocalyptic genre. And I've got two other series planned that are going to fall in that post-apocalyptic that are going to be... The Brothers Creed was a fun series. It was an easy series. Um, the the two main characters are based off my brother and I. I have other characters in there that are based off other people I know. It's just, it's a typical zombie book. The zombies are slow. It's um, very believable. It's just them trying to get to Alaska. There's not all this other stuff going on. And so it's just a very down-to-earth zombie series. Now, my next two, um, I've got two other ones planned now. I mean, I've got stories planned for decades. But my next two post-apocalyptic ones are going to they're gonna stretch and go a little more in the... The one's going to go a little more into sci-fi. Like, it's going to be more future kind of um, nuclear wasteland kind of post-apocalyptic. And then another one's going to be more along the vein of like a World War Z type of zombies. So I've got, I've got, I've got a lot of stuff planned between the fantasy and the post-apocalyptic genres. Oh, very neat. It, well, as you get out there, obviously the hunting and I, I would tell folks you have a, you know, the website, Joshua C. Chad, and it's with two D's and I'll have a link yes. to that in the show notes as well, but it's Chad is C-H-A-D-D. -D, so it's Joshua C. Chad dot 
sheepcamp.com. People can reach out to you, but once I'm guessing once you hit sheep camp and things like that, your response time goes down to pretty, pretty long in between where you might respond to somebody. Yes, um, exactly. So what I do is I set up all my emails and stuff to where if somebody sends me a message, it sends one back saying, Hey, I'm sheep hunting. I'm not going to be able to, cause once we go out to camp, we're out at camp. So pretty much from July 27th until be October, maybe 27th, I will be completely out of contact for those three months there. Yeah. So there's no uh, Facebook in the side of the mountain you're on or anything like no, that. It's no. you're out there. Yes, yes, exactly. It's all um, the only way we communicate is we got uh, satellite phones and uh, that's that's about it. Satellite and carrier pigeon. Yes, exactly. Always got those pigeons trained. Well, this is pretty cool. I, I encourage folks to go out. You can check it out on Amazon. Go out to Josh's website first, and I'll have a link to this in the show notes. By the time this gets published, you'll be a few weeks uh, heading before you head off to Alaska. So uh, if anybody wants to contact you, they can reach you through any of your social media, which is all your name, Joshua C. Chad. Yep. And then you'll you'll get back to them as you're able to. And then and come end of, uh, I'm guessing, end of mule deer. You're doing elk hunts on those ranches as well? Yes. Yep. So we do August is pretty much dull sheep in Alaska. September's really moose in Alaska. And then we go down October is brown bear on the, on the peninsula in the Katmai. And then when we come back, we've got, I think this year I've got two rifle elk hunts on our ranches. And then we go into full on uh, mule deer until, until the 1st of December. Okay. Could somebody uh, bow hunt an elk on the place in Montana? Yes. Yes. So we do. We do. We're going to start doing bow hunts in 2020, and we do still have a couple openings for that. Yes. And do you spot and stalk, hunt over water holes, or whatever the hunter wants to do? So it's going to be a little bit. It's going to be kind of like a mix between spot and stalk and calling. It's going to be a lot of calling, but it's also going to be like we might sit up on a lookout and figure out where the elk are at and kind of pattern them and then go down and try and call them. Or go down and try and sneak in, and if we can't quite get close enough, then we'll do a little bit of calling. Okay. Yep. So very much across the board and, and can accommodate whatever kind of uh, hunting adventure the, the client really wants to have. Yes. Yep. You definitely need to be in good shape. You want yes. to talk to Joshua or his dad about boots, socks. I mean, trust me on the boots and the socks things. I made that mistake and tore my feet up once, and it's yes. not Those fun. So whether uh, camo is good, whether it be cryptic or any other on the other type is workable and so i again i can't thank you enough for your time oh thanks for having me this has been uh this has been a blast being able to talk about the two different things in the same podcast is 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 new and i like it <laughs> oh this is great and i i look forward i'd like to have you back on in say january february time frame and really kind of focus in on talking about some bear hunting in the katmai and how they do that versus the difference versus say up in the wrangles and how that works out and and then we'll touch based on how the plans are going for any new books and how the Brothers Creed has been doing while you're out of pocket. Yeah, no, no, that's a, that's a great idea. That would be awesome. Great. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. I appreciate it, and I wish you a, a great day. I hope you have a great day. Thanks, you too, and uh, thanks again for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Come early spring, it's getting green. Fisher on the bed. Hear those turkeys gobble It's ringing in my head The winter rides bass boat Here comes another year Yeah, we command the outdoors around here Oh, we command the outdoors 
Yeah, we command the outdoors. Come summertime, we're feeling fine, fishing on the lake, flipping jigs in Carolina rigs. From early morning till real late. Bonfires on the creek bank, kick back a couple beers. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Next year's does until you know winter's on the way. Brushing blinds and deer stands. The fever starts to creep. Fill our freezers full of ducks, lots of tender deer. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. So grab your guns, shells, boys. Put on your camouflage. Cause we command the outdoors around here.